Let's see. Oh, we're live. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sharp Talk. What's up? Oh, can you see me? Yes. Hold on. Just one moment. We are working through a few technical, technical difficulties. Here. My name is Louise Sharp. And welcome, everyone, to Sharp Talk. Thank go. you so much. Friends, uh, Facebook friends and family, thank you so much for joining us on this pre-election weekend, NFL Football Sunday. Some wonderful, awesome uh, games played on today. And we want to encourage everybody to exercise your right and get out and vote. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and let's remember, let's okay, remember. You can share it on your page now. Sorry. Yeah. We're just making sure it's shared to all pages here. So it's on my Facebook page and dad will go on. And if you Here's go to my page, page how do you get yeah. to where my actual um, profile is? We're amateurs here. This is your profile. <laughs> it this should is... know like where I, okay. Well then maybe it's. All right, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let's, let's see here. Oh, there we go. Okay, share. All right. Share now. Okay. All right. We got it going. How We've got that? it going. Hallelujah. So very that? excited for today's show. We've got a special guest joining us. So looking forward to that. Dad, thank you for the admonition for us to exercise our civic duty and our responsibility and make sure we get out to rock the poll. Some of you have probably already early voted. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit more about the vision uh, behind Sharp Talk. So this really is our platform and our opportunity to talk about things, family, fun, fashion, football, and faith. Um, and so today, again, just super excited because we get to welcome my cousin, Felix Sharp Jr. onto the show. Um, so that really highlights our focus on family. And my dad and Felix are going to talk uh, more about football. And of course, we'll make sure that we have fun while we're doing it. Um, on the fashion tip, I, you see we're matching and Faye even has on a shade of blue. So I want to sharp out. Uh, I want to shout out Sharper Image and Dear Sharp, who made sure that we were all together today so that we could come before you all um, confidently and, again, color coordinated, too. So that's always fun. So I wanted to make sure that I underscored that point. And with no further ado, I'd like to uh, bring in Mr. Felix Sharp, who's going to introduce himself. Hey, Bailey, we'll do the applause here. Welcome yes. to Sharp Talk. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. I want to make sure that... Um, you remember that I'm a special guest when I come there for Thanksgiving. So, oh, amen. Okay, yeah. Make sure you remind me of this moment. <laughs> so, family, um, obviously, all of our family that's watching, they know who you are, but we've got a lot of other individuals tuning in today. So, if you could please just give everyone um, an introduction to yourself, let them know who you are, what you do, and why you're excited to be this special guest today. Well, everybody, I'm Faley. I am uh, Luis's oldest nephew. Um, I now live in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live with my family here. Um, I'm a lawyer. I am. Uh, I graduated from from Cooley Law School in Lansing, Michigan. Went to undergrad at Grand Valley State University, where I played football for a little while there before I started to focus on my academics. But um, I have been a, a, a football nerd since I could remember, and a lot of that has to do with you know, being around my grandmother's house as a uh, kid. And so I think this is 
fun, Rebecca. I think this is fun, <laughs> this thing that you're doing. So yeah, well, I'm excited. We've talked about this for so many different, so during so many different holidays and family moments, like just different things we wanted to do, Faley, to continue our legacy, our rich heritage from our grandparents and our aunts and uncles. So I honestly consider it um, a, a true privilege to just finally be here, like living in the manifestation of those conversations. So, so we want to, we want to, uh, and I want to say, nephew, we're so very proud Amen. of uh, of your accomplishment, uh, the family that you have, that you're Amen. following uh, God's lead in your life, and uh, and that you're working uh, productively in the community. Um, you're a huge football fan. You know what? I got something I want to show you while we're on the subject of football. Do you know uh, who this is right here? Um, can you hold it a little bit closer? I got to see the last name. Well, that's Barry Sanders, and I can't – the uh, other signature, I can't really make out the other signature. Okay. Let us know what it is. Drum roll. Drum roll. So this uh, is a Barry uh, helmet, Detroit Lions helmet. And, and, you know, Barry and I, we played during the same era. We had the same agent. And so I had Barry – Signed this Detroit Lions hat for my brother-in-law, Carlton. Uh, I don't know, about three or four years ago. I thought that was Carlton's name. I was like, that looks like Carlton's <laughs> name, but why would his name be on the helmet? Barry, because, you know, Carlton is a huge Detroit Lions fan. Okay, okay. So I had Barry signed sign him this. Okay. And, uh, and he has it right here on his on his mantle. Uh, just wanted to see if you recognize the, uh, the signature. But, uh, again, we're so very happy to have you. Uh, so very proud of how you're carrying forth the sharp legacy. Amen. And uh, and Rebecca, I'm going to let you go ahead and take the lead and get the interview started. All right. Well, as has been stated, Faley is um, our oldest, well, my oldest male cousin on at least the sharp side, um, my dad's oldest male nephew. And Faley, I know that you've got a couple of questions that you actually wanted to get us started um, in, in asking and inquiring. So I will actually pass the ball over to you, no pun intended, to uh, get going chatting about football. Well, uh, Theo, and I say, you know, for those who don't know, Theo means uncle in Spanish. Um, and Theo, I've, I've just, I've thought recently that your story is an interesting one. So I want to ask you some questions um, about your story, because I might not even know the answer to some of these questions. I was talking to Dee, Dee our aunt, recently about a really early memory that I had, and it just kind of led me down this path that um, there were some things that I wanted to know, and um, and I thought that you could answer. So, I, I think I mean most people who know you know that you were raised in in Southwest Detroit. Is that right? Raised in Southwest Detroit, yes, sir. Came from yeah. Cuba. We came from Cuba. I was five or six years old. I don't remember. Uh, grew up in uh, in Southwest Detroit. Did not speak one word of English. Uh, coming to a, a different country, a different culture. My brother and I, my brother is a, or your father, is a year younger than I. And so we both were raised in Southwest Detroit. Yes. What do you, I mean, what are your earliest memories of being a kid, either in Detroit or in Cuba? Well, my early, earliest memories of, uh, of coming here uh, to Detroit, like I said, you know, your brother or your father, my brother and I, uh, we came here um, at the age of five or six years old. We did not speak one word of English, uh, trying to assimilate to a different culture uh, was very difficult. 
very difficult trying to learn the English language, uh, enrolling in school. We dress differently. Uh, our, your, your grandfather cut our hair differently. So we were constantly made fun of, constantly picked on, uh, chased home from school. You know, kids can be very mean to those that are not like them. And, and so that was that is my memory from uh, moving here from Cuba at a very young age. If I have if I have it correctly, grandpa came here first. Is that right? And then yeah. he sent for you and grandma and um, for everybody to come here. Is that right? Yeah, he came here, I think, two years before he brought us, his family, uh, okay. over to uh, to Michigan. Do, is there anything that you I mean, I know that that's stretching a lot. I mean, you would have been f five years old. Do you remember anything about being in Cuba and, you know, oh, your father being away? And of course, I, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, uh, your grandma's father. And he lived uh, in, in a different city in Cuba than they did. And I think I was his favorite nephew. So I remember uh, spending a lot of time with him. Um, he lived upstairs and he had like a bar downstairs that he ran. Um, so that's kind of what I remember as a kid. Uh, and I remember we used to have to wear uniforms, uh, to go to school, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Just some of the bits and pieces that I do remember. Do you, I, that, that would be my great grandfather. Do you know, do, do you remember what he did or what his life was like, uh, or any stories that you can remember about my great grandfather? You know, you know what, Philly, it's been so long. You're okay. stretching my mind. I'd have to give it some thought. I have to give it some thought. I do remember that he was a he was a tall man, uh, a very athletic looking, uh, very light, light uh, skinned man. And uh, he's very loving. Um, he took me under his wing. Um, but I'd have to give it some thought. There is a picture that grandma has. I don't know where it is now, but it was hanging up um, in the house for a long time. And I just have that image in my head. But I would just really be interested to know. You know more more about him, but um, are you talking okay. about Ernesto Caballero? I don't I don't know. I'm just I got because there's a couple. Uh, are you talking about grandpa's father? I no, no, grandma's no, I'm talking about grandma's father. Oh, yeah, well, he, I know that he was the mayor, right, yes. Grandma of Banis Oriente. Jamaica Yateras, my grandmother's here with us as well. So we've got generational blessings present. So yeah, he was um, in the kingdom of government is which, yes. what I would call it. And he was very influential and prominent in Cuba. And they grew up uh, very wealthy. Honestly, they had, you know, the whole system kind of set up in Cuba there for them. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the memories are very rich if you were to really go back and summon those deep wells because he was a very powerful man in Cuba. And Rebecca, I mean, you might be able to fill in the gaps here from just conversations with grandma. But do you know, like anything about the circumstances? So would that have been I mean, what what year would it have been okay. when we came here? Do You remember at all, Rebecca? Well, we, came, we came when we came here from Cuba. Yeah. 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 We came here, it was 1966. 66. Yeah. OK. 1966. Okay. April of 1966. OK. So that was what? How many 50 some odd years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, well, I think Castro would have been relatively um, recent in power because he came in the power in the in the mid 50s, if I'm remembering correctly. But I just think that that's interesting. So. All right. Let, can, I, can I ask you a little bit about Detroit? I mean, you talked about. Um, getting picked on and being different. Are there any stories that you remember specifically from your childhood where, you know, where you may have gotten into it with somebody or, 
Uh, there was you, a neighborhood bully uh -oh. and would always chase me and your uh, father home. And I remember your grandpa one day told me, he said, uh -oh. if you don't go out there and handle your business, uh -oh. you know, you're going to have to deal with me. Uh -oh. So I went out there and handled my business against this neighborhood bully. And that was really the start of my life, including football, prospering. Hmm. I developed the confidence that, you know what, I can take care of myself. I don't have to run like a little sissy. You know what I'm saying? I can I can stand up and, and, and fight for myself and my brother. Uh, that was a, a turning point for me, believe it or not. Did you fight? What did you do? Did you fight him? Did you beat him up? I fought him and I got him up off of me. Oh, and yeah. never, never again had a problem. But, you know, I think this is interesting because I've talked a lot to my dad and Uncle Felix and Didi. And, you know, they have mentioned that because they were different in this neighborhood of southwest Detroit in the late 60s, a lot of people did pick on them. In fact, there was a family that started a petition to have them removed yes. from the neighborhood just because they were different. You know, although we all looked alike to the eye, we were black. Right. But because, the, the, like you said, the culture was different, the language was different, the dress, everything about them was set apart and different, and people didn't know how to embrace those differences. It was so new to them that they literally tried to have them removed from the neighborhood. And I know there were a lot of moments of opposition and adversity that were placed on our parents and our cousins and you know aunts and uncles just because of that difference. So for them, family was really everything. I mean, they were so close to one another because they were excluded, unfortunately, and they really only had each other to lean on, both going to school, in school, and then coming home on the weekends and celebrating and really growing as family here in the U.S. And, and if we look at it from a, a spiritual really perspective, you know, you look at how far we've come. Look at Rebecca. Look at what you've accomplished, uh, failing. Um, what I accomplished uh, in the NFL. You know, there, there's a reason why we had so much opposition. Mm -hmm. You know, the enemy knew that God's hand was upon all of our lives yeah. and that we were going to come and, and prosper and become productive members of society here and, and be a blessing to so many other people that he didn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's why we had so much strong opposition because of what God who knows the end from even before the beginning. You know, the enemy knew that he that he had a, a battle because of all that God is and has and will continue to do with our lives. Amen. That's a good word. Right. Was there was there some point when you were growing up where you felt, um, I guess, more assimilated? I'm not sure the exact word, but maybe more assimilated or maybe more accepted uh, than you had been at first when you first um, came to Detroit. Was So was there a point at which maybe with sports or with something else where you felt uh, a more accepted member of the community, or did you always feel like an outsider? Hmm. Probably still feel like an outsider in many regards. Amen. <laughs> yeah. We're peculiar people, right? Yeah, Set but, apart. But, yeah, but that, but that, but that's okay. You know, I, I don't really uh, value the the applause and the affirmation of uh, of man or of this world. Uh, one of the reasons I don't believe in celebrating Halloween. You know, I don't believe in becoming a part of, of anything to do with darkness, um, you know, as a born again believer. Not that I'm a perfect person or anything, but, uh, you know, because of my faith. Yeah, I imagine that once I started being uh, successful as a young athlete and, you know, we would play on the playground uh, fields at our elementary school um, and I was a beast out there. So, you know, you tend to get accepted when you show your athletic prowess um, in the inner city communities here in uh in, in Michigan and most uh, major metropolitan uh, areas, I believe. 
Um, Tio, at, at what point? At what point do you remember um, that you were you had some skill in football? What is was there a moment when you started playing? Because I can, you know, I don't know if they had you know rocket football or peewee football back in the day. I'm sure that they did, but was there a point at which you realized I I'm talented? I'm bigger than these people. I can. I can push people around. And I know you all play baseball too. So was there a, a point at which you realized that um, that you had athletic gifts that other people didn't have? I was a, a, a freshman uh, football player at Southwestern High School. They brought me up from the JV squad to the, the, the varsity. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot about football. I had on my, my regular uh, socks. didn't have on athletic socks. I had on dress socks. My thigh pads, I had where my knee pads went, and, and the knee pads were the thigh. And they were laughing about me. Everybody on the other team was laughing about me, and they were joking about me. And I lined up um, opposite an All-American guard. I'll never forget. His name was Kyron Williams. Kyron was on his way to University of Michigan. He was a senior. Okay, go Blues. Right? And so I lined up opposite Kyron Williams, and the running back, his name was Terry Anderson. Terry Anderson was also a senior, and he was on his way to MSU, Michigan State University. Okay? Because of them talking uh, garbage, talking nonsense about me and laughing at me, I made my mind up that I'm going to show these people what I got. I whipped the All-American guard that was on his way to Michigan. I whipped him at the line of scrimmage, got through, hogtied Terry Anderson, drug him to the ground, and everybody on the football field was just in complete amazement. They were shocked. That was a turning point for me. That taught me something showed me something that I had on the inside of me that I didn't even know I had as a result of being made fun of and being laughed at out there by my teammates. So that was a turning point. That is something that I do remember. I'll wow. never forget that. Powerful. Was that uh, was that your first time playing football when you were a freshman or do you, you know, remember? You know, it must have been. It must have been my first time playing football because I do remember that I had my pads, uh, my thigh pads and knee pads inversed not where they belonged, and I had on my dress socks, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know anything about uh, football pants, and I didn't know that you had to wear uh, athletic socks out there on the football field, you know, and they were laughing at me and making fun of me. So it had to be one of the first times, probably the first time, that I went out there on the athletic field. Um, and, Rebecca, if you ever need to jump in here, just do so. But um, it was there something that led you to playing football or did – or you know, did grandpa say you're going to go out there and, and play some sports or is there something that led you to say, I want to pick this up? Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I, uh, Joe Hoskins uh, was my high school uh, football coach and really taught me the game. Anyway, he saw me walk in the halls of Southwestern high school because I was tall kid, tall and big kid. He says, man, you're like a football player. I want you to come out and, and try out for the football team. And, uh, and, and so that's what started. He invited me to come out. I didn't know a thing about the game, and uh, and that's what started my my football career. So he recruited you. He recruited the hallways. And said, you, need to you can say that he recruited the hallways, and he asked me to come up. And I say that because my uh, my coach in college actually took a, a class, and he was on coaching, and he was saying for those of you becoming high school football coaches, no, you don't recruit like a college team, but you need to recruit the call hallways. So it sounds like that's what Coach Hoskins did. Um, for you. Can you talk a little bit more about Coach Hoskins and what he meant for you? I mean, I think I went to his funeral 
And um, I've never been to a funeral with that many people. Can you talk a little bit about him? Great, great man. Uh, great man. Uh, a leader, a leader um, and a maker of, of young men. Um, he, uh, if there's one person that is responsible for my success uh, in life and as an NFL player, uh, it was him. Wow. He gave me the confidence um, and he gave me the ability to believe in myself. Um, he was always in my corner. Uh, just a great man, a great man, a great teacher, a great leader, a great mentor was uh, Joe Hoskins. Uh, rest in peace. And if I remember, I do remember correctly, but Michael Eric Dyson, the renowned professor from Georgetown, actually gave his eulogy. Uh, Coach Hoskins' eulogy came back to Detroit to give his eulogy. Um, I think that that's a good point to start talking about recruiting, Tio. Um, I mean, for a, an immigrant family coming to America, f football had to be new. Recruiting had to be new. What is it that you remember about being a, a prized recruit in southwest Detroit to, you know, starting your college career? What do you what do you remember about being courted, being recruited? Well, I, I remember uh, as a result of being a, a top, like you mentioned, flight recruit, recruit. I traveled on an airplane. Actually, it was my second time on an airplane. First time was from Miami. Uh, here to Detroit when we came from Cuba, but that was my second time on an airplane. I don't forget my first recruiting visit was to the University of Indiana. Um, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was uh, an interesting experience. Had coaches from all across the country that would come, uh, they would visit uh, with your grandparents, and you know, they would sell us, sell us on uh, their program, the, the academics of their school. Uh, I got a chance to visit uh, five, I think, at the time that I was being recruited. You had a maximum of, of six recruiting visits, and I really fell in love with the UCLA. Uh, I worked for Mel Farr and Mel Farr Ford. Mel Farr was a former Bruin, UCLA Bruin, uh, went and played many years with the Detroit Lions, retired uh, with the Detroit Lions, and had his own dealerships here locally in the state of Michigan. And, and so I would work after school for Mel and uh, learned a lot, received a lot from him. And so he was kind of the impetus, uh, the reason why I chose UCLA over the many other colleges that were recruiting me. Wow. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about that. So UCLA is a little over 2,000 miles away from Detroit. Um, is there anything else that led you could going all the way out to the East Coast to, to uh, away from Detroit? West Coast, right? Oh, the West Coast, excuse yeah. me, going all the way out to the West Coast, <laughs> left, the left coast. Well, I met uh, I met your uh, your cousin's mother at, at, on Shout a recruiting trip. <laughs> oh, you went on the recruiting trip? I went on, no, I didn't, I didn't uh, Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I just felt I just felt like UCLA, a combination of uh, academics and, and, and athletics was unparalleled uh, with any other college in the country. I love the weather there. Uh, Terry Donahue was my coach. Uh, and he was an excellent uh, presenter and, and salesman. And, I, and, and of course, Mel Farr had a tremendous amount of influence uh, over me as a young uh, high school student athlete. So those are the reasons why I chose 
UCLA. And Dad, I really want to pontificate or stop here so that you can explain as you, you know, actually went through your trajectory at UCLA. Can you talk about that draft experience? Because I know that you wrote a post about it on Facebook um, a few years ago, but you were yet again the underdog, right? And nobody expected you to be picked up, but God, yet again. So can you just tell us a little bit about what that experience of draft night was like for you? Well, I, I wasn't very well known uh, in college, except for the, the pro scouts. The pro scouts, you know, they look at all your tapes and they, they have an, an investment in you. So obviously they're going to know talent. Um, and so I was picked uh, the 16th overall pick uh, by the then St. Louis Cardinals. And I'll never forget your mom and I, we were watching the draft. Um, at, we were, I was at the Southern Suites. It was like a dormitory at UCLA. And uh, Chris Berman and some of the other uh, uh, pundits were saying that, who, who, is he? who is this guy? He's from UCLA, but we never heard of him. And then they looked at my size. I was only like 260 pounds. And they said, oh, he's a, he's a relative unknown. Uh, he'll maybe last five or six years wow. and, and, and move on. Um, and I use that um, as motivation. The fact that the football pundits, the prog not prognosticators, said that I wouldn't last five or six years. They didn't know who I was. And, and I use that in the workout room. I use that uh, before every game that I played. I reminded myself that these people didn't believe in me, uh, that I wouldn't make it very long in the NFL. And, and that, that gave me the impetus to play the 13 years that I played and played in three consecutive Pro Bowls because one thing I've learned about myself, tell me that I won't, and I'm going to show you that I will. Okay, now. That's a word for somebody. Tell me that I won't, and I'm going to show you that I will. You know, you counted out by everybody but God, right? He specializes in the breakthrough and by honestly using using the foolish things to confound the wise, the 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 weak things to shame the strong. And I think that your life really does uh, show that it captures that. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, maybe you can highlight a few of your momentous experiences in the NFL. Um, Bailey, I want you to talk about your anecdote of when he came to Detroit and was um, playing the Lions and everybody was over at grandma and grandpa's house. Grandma cooked, of course, a kingly feast for everyone. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. Dad, can you share? I know we've got a lot of family in our studio right now. <laughs> we've got an in-house audience with all of our no, family and friends. No. <laughs> so we um, yeah, are laughing and kind of bantering back and forth there because everybody's really excited um, about what God is doing here. But yeah, talk a little bit about, just a little so, bit. Uh, about uh, can you tell, can you look at this? Can you see this picture? Yes, we can see. Yeah. Barry, you know who this is? I is that uh Hartley or Hartley. Charles Haley? Charles Haley. Charles Haley, and, and who's yeah. blocking on Charles Haley? That's you blocking. That's you blocking. <laughs> so I just got this from a fan. You know, these fans, it's always such a joy, and it, it humbles me. Whenever a fan sends me a, a picture or an autograph in the mail and asks for my signature, I mean I played the game 35 some odd years ago, and I still have fans that want my autograph. What a what a humbling experience that is. And I just received this today. This is Charles Haley from the uh, NFL Hall of Famer. Wow. Uh, this was when he was with the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, uh, Charles Haley, I think, won six Super Bowl rings. Wow. He won with the Cowboys, the 49ers. Don't look at me. And I think the Patriots, maybe. You, you're a buff. Uh, you may know uh, who, what teams Charles Haley won Super Bowls with. But uh, So this was always a highlight for me, playing against the Richard Dents. Uh, the Charles Haley's, the Lawrence Taylor's. Again, 
you know, we were always the underdogs, the NFL, the Cardinals, the St. Louis, Arizona Cardinals. You know, nobody expected us to do anything on the football field. In the 13 years I played, we only played in one uh, playoff game. Wow. Only a player appeared in the playoff one game. And, and so, you know, it was a challenge for me because I was lined up one-on-one against these Hall of Fame players, the Lawrence Taylors, the Charles Haley's, the Richard Dents, um, the Jim Jeffcoats. And, uh, and, and so I would look at that as a challenge. That was my opportunity to show the world that, you know what, I'm not only do I belong, but I'm one of the better players at my position. And I'm going to show you what I'm made of Uh-oh. by performing against these top tiered mm-hmm. defensive ends. And as a result, I won their respect. I won their Pro Bowl votes. Mm-hmm. And they chose me to represent them as one of the best in the NFL at the annual Pro Bowl game for three consecutive seasons. You know, and I remember um, Grandpa would tell the story and rest his soul as well. I know he's just radiant right now as he sees us do this. But he said one time when we were in Hawaii for the Pro Bowl game, he came up to Grandma and was like, what you feeding that boy, Lawrence Taylor? He didn't say boy. He didn't say boy. Oh, well, what are, what are you feeding that man? Because he is a beast. Didn't say man. Didn't but it's man. that um, <laughs> indomitable Cuban spirit, Mr. Taylor, that that's what it is that you're seeing, I feel, really illustrated on the field. So. Oh, it's it's in our blood. We're we're winners. Amen. God made us all winners. And and no matter, you know, I've made my mistakes and I've fallen from grace. You know what I'm saying? And not and not everybody has forgiven me, but the bottom line is, you know what, I've forgiven myself. Amen. And now I use, you know, my mountain highs and my valley lows. I use that as a testimony. Amen. I use the NFL platform to pierce the hearts of men and women and let them know that you know what, there is hope Amen. for those that are caught up in addiction. They, too, can become productive, responsible, law-abiding, tax-paying members of society again through the help of, of the one who is the chain breaker, Jesus Christ. Hello. Amen. Amen. It's um, a good word. Bailey, do you want to share a little bit about what you remember? Well, just a look. At, so, Tio, you were uh, drafted in 1982 and just a few bo- spots behind Marcus Allen and Jim McMahon and a full round before Oliver Luck, the former XFL commissioner and father of, of Andrew Luck. Um, he made the Pro Bowl uh, in each year from 1987 to 89. And in 1988, you were second team all pro to uh, at tackle. The first team all pro that year were Anthony Munoz and Jackie Slater. So um, just uh, for, for people to remember. But, yeah, um, one thing I think I mentioned that uh, it, So for people who don't know, my grand my grandmother had a house near Nine Mile and Telegraph in um, – in, in Southfield, Michigan, the ravines on Rexford Drive, um, a white house with like brown accents, huge backyard. Um, you could play a football game back there if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> my grandfather used to, the, his favorite thing to do was to cut the grass on his lawnmower. That is what he used, like to ride to do. And he used to ride y'all on the lawnmower. Yes. He did. He did. <laughs> and one thing, the Rexford Drive is a long, uh, uh, straight street at this at this where my grandmother's house was. And her um, her driveway was a semicircle. And we would always have parties at this house. And anytime we had parties, not only was the full semicircle filled, but like up and down the block would be would be cars. And, um, you know, one one thing, uh, there was a white living room, 
with you know some couches and and chairs and there was a fireplace in that living room uh right off uh right off that living room was a trophy room where all of my uncle's accolades were but one thing that i can remember being a kid is tl swinging from your arm in a house full of all of these people and i'm pretty sure it was um i'm not old enough to re- i mean i'm not i don't remember exactly but i'm pretty sure it was your teammates who had come to the house before a game and i can remember distinctly swinging from your arm in that living in that white living room you know where your teammates were laughing and, and having a, a good time so that is um that's one of many memories that i could remember at that <laughs> house that i love so much that grandma actually pulled the um the blueprints for me, I could find them anywhere. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so sweet. That's so precious. I remember honestly. Um, I think it was like three years in a row. There was some sort of an auction that was taking place, and you would always make sure that you won the day for Leah and I to go hang out with the Cardinals cheerleaders. So I remember being on the field cheering with the cheerleaders and us having our outfits. And there was one year. Um, where you did the auction for us and I forgot my shoes and grandpa was there and he came to give me my shoes and just being able to like relish in that moment. I mean, I think I was too young then to understand the magnitude of it, but I know that those were the the times of light that I remembered as we were traveling through those seasons of darkness. Like it wasn't always this bad. There were really amazing moments um, and we got a chance to meet some phenomenal people during the time that we lived in Ahwatukee and when you played, uh, people that I still keep in touch with today. So I just really consider it a blessing. I mean, like you mentioned, it hasn't always been a crystal stare. It has not, you know, been easy. Uh, But even in that, God has just done a really remarkable work in connecting us with incredible people, as well as um, ensuring that we have some really beautiful moments that have now turned into precious memories. So thanks for that. Well, thank you. Thank God. So God is all responsible for it. And like I I mentioned earlier, that's the reason why uh, when we came here as immigrant, as immigrant families, we weren't uh, kindly accepted and uh, and the enemy just did not want us here because look at what you guys are sharing, the memories. Yeah. And uh, and now it's, it's up to you, you guys, the, the next generation uh, to carry that legacy forward, Amen. carry that le- legacy forward. Uh, 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 nephew, you've got five children now. Yes. Yes. Five children. Number of grace. Amen. And uh, and that's what I had. I had four girls and, and a son, uh, five kids. And uh, and God is just going to continue to prosper. Um, and, and who knows, maybe one of uh, yours could one day become president of these United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. Amen. And, you know, speaking of just our very rich heritage um, and our ancestry, so we were going to go to Jamaica with some of our close family friends uh, for an end of the year trip. And unfortunately, due to COVID and some of the new regulations that have been implemented, that trip has been canceled or rescheduled. That's what I'll frame it. Um, But we did some research because we actually have an ancestor named Samuel Sharp. And he is heralded as one of Jamaica's seven national heroes. He was a Baptist preacher and he was born a slave in Jamaica. Uh, He's best known for his leadership role in the 1831 Christmas Rebellion on the Kensington Estate in Western Jamaica, in which hundreds of slaves unfortunately lost their lives. But um, Samuel Sharp, he's now, there's 
schools named after him. There have been plenty of books written about him. I mean, he's gotten some really high regards and, and accolades. He's also on, he appears on their $50 banknote. Uh, but something that he said that I know we can all really agree, really resonates with all of us now, and I feel like frames our life is, I would rather die in yonder gallows than live for one more minute in slavery. And so when I reflect back on just the, just, I mean, God has really allowed us to come from such um, uh, just remarkable bloodline, you know, and people who have had that indomitable spirit that I spoke about earlier. And Samuel Sharp is another example of that, you know? And so um, we are carrying on the mantle and the legacy of the greatness that came, you know, well before my dad and your dad and, you know, that generation, but it's been there. And there really is a generational blessing and mantle that I feel we are being prepared to walk in in an even greater way in this season and beyond. Yeah, Do you want to say anything about? No, and, and absolutely, and, and the, the wonderful thing is uh, about that is you know now we can pass that that history, um, uh, that 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 legacy. Now that we are aware of it, we can pass it down uh, through the the generations, and recognize that the sharp blood there is uh, innate an innate winner's spirit, Amen. winner leadership spirit um, in our bloodline, and mm -hmm. the reason why I played in the NFL and played made it to the Pro Bowl. Even though I wasn't expected to, to last four or five years, no one knew who I was coming out of college. It's the reason why you're a counselor now, Fairly. You're an, you're an attorney. You're a lawyer. And, and Rebecca, now you're a major executive with a major oh, automobile. Major executive. Okay, and, I like that. Prophesy that word. Okay. And getting promoted. Getting promoted. <laughs> yes, amen. As we speak. Yes. And about to purchase your own home now oh, here real soon. Yeah, real soon. Pray all these soon. things. So you God has been uh, God has been just exceedingly abundantly a, a blessing yeah, for us above all that we can think, ask, or imagine because of our legacy, those that came before us, and what He has placed in in our family, in our in our blood bloodline. Amen. Amen. So I just, that's what I wanted to say. That's well, we thank you for sharing. That was yeah, very absolutely. powerful. It definitely was poignant. Um, and so I appreciate everybody sticking in with us and hearing more about our legacy and the layers and just uh, the people and the places that we come from. But I kind of want to bring it back in this moment and talk a little bit about, and I will leave this to you all, of course, but I want to talk about what's happening with football in the current day. If you all could talk to us about what some of the teams are doing in this season, how COVID may be impacting their performance, if you've got any predictions, about who's doing well, who's not doing so well. Just want to highlight some of that for all of our um, ardent football fans that are tuned in as well. Go ahead, Counselor. <laughs> well, I mean, you can we can start in Dateline, Detroit. Um, yeah, we uh, we have a, a coach that appears to be um, overmatched, and he's a tourist. He won't be there very long, and my it's my hope that the next coach is. Um, T.O., somebody you know, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator um, of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, I've been really disappointed uh, about at least the Lions defense and their inability to stop the run. They stopped the run pretty well today, but uh, overall, uh, that's been a weakness for them. They have not drafted well. They've signed players who don't necessarily fit into any one position because Matt Patricia prefers that players be versatile. And they're so versatile that they can't cover, at least their front seven, they can't cover and they can't stop the run. So um, uh, I didn't <laughs> go negative there, but that's how I feel about, about the Lions. Um, 
I mean, as far as the game overall, I think we're going to see a prolonged period of Kansas City being the favorite to win the Super Bowl. I mean, for maybe the next four or five years, something like that. Um, Patrick Mahomes is what, 25 and has already had his first Super Bowl. And, you know, they're, they're, um, believe six and one now and they're going to get a a buy in the afc and have home playoff games all throughout the playoffs so um i don't know is that enough is that enough rebecca yeah no well you know that's uh that that's good i I have to agree with you uh the detroit lions it's uh they're in a sad state of affairs right now this is matt patricia's third season and uh he's won probably the same number of games in three seasons that his predecessor, Jim Caldwell, won uh, in each of his last two seasons, nine football games. So, you know, the general manager, Bob Quinn, said that nine and seven was not good enough. Well, here it is three years later, and that is the total number of wins that the current head coach uh, has. That's unacceptable. Uh, A lot of it has to do with free agent signings, uh, players that he's brought over from the New England Patriots, maybe trying to uh, replicate Bill uh, Belichick. Well, you're not a Bill Belichick. You got to have your, your own plans, your own system, um, in my opinion. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's going to be a change. And uh, Eric Bieniemy, I'm sure, uh, will be someone that's given high consideration uh, amongst others. But, uh, but certainly it is heart-wrenching. I'll always be a Detroit Lion fan. Um, and I'll always see the cup as half full and believe that, you know, sports are cyclical. Sports are cyclical. You have up and down uh, seasons, and, uh, and, and it's, it's going to be our time. It's going to be the Detroit Lions' time at some point uh, to have some productive, possibly playoff and maybe even Super Bowl uh, seasons coming up in our lifetime. I'm believing by yeah. faith. Hey, our words create the, our worlds, right? So the, just power the, the last time I looked, Tio, built the winning percentage of uh, the total winning percentage for Bill Belichick's assistance as head coaches was 34%. So that's Bill O'Brien at 52, Charlie Weiss at 46, Eric Mangini at 41, Josh McDaniels at 39, Romeo Cornell at 32, Matt Patricia at 29. That's changed a little bit, and Joe Judge at zero at the time. The New York, the New York Giants did not have a win, so uh, 34, a little over 34 percent, the collective win percentage for those assistants that have uh, become head coaches. (laughs) Are there any teams that have surprised you all this season that maybe didn't have a high winning percentage but are doing seemingly well? or even vice versa, those that we thought would be the favorites that are, you know, underperforming right now? Well, I saw Miami won today with uh, Tagliavoa um, as their quarterback. They won today. That was kind of a surprise. How did he play? Do you know? Uh, I mean, they they won with defense and special teams in that game. I believe oh, they, got, they got a defensive touchdown. He had one touchdown pass himself. But, I mean, you know, he, he was one of the most highly touted prospects um, to enter the NFL since Andrew Luck, and so he he didn't he didn't. This was his first game starting, and so he he didn't play. Um, uh, uh, he didn't blow the roof off the doors, but um, they won the game. Um, as far as I'm um, surprises, I'm looking here. Um, I think Indianapolis is a surprise, given that. Uh, they are in trans. They were a team in transition and, and getting a new quarterback in there, bringing Phillip Rivers in. And their offense hasn't. That's a team that has traditionally been an offensive team, but their defense has been playing well. 
I think um, I think I think Cleveland is a, is a relative surprise. They lost today, but they're four and two, um, and, and they look to be headed to the playoffs. They still have to play Baltimore in, in Cleveland. Um, what about uh, Tennessee? Tennessee has come on pretty strong. They Tell have, and, and they've really just continued to play well uh, under uh, uh, Vrabel. I can't, I can't think of Vrabel's first name. Mike, Mike, Vrabel. Mike Vrabel, right? Mike Vrabel, and I don't consider him to be a uh, Belichick assistant, but he did play under Bill Belichick, and that team has really played sound football. I mean, no teams established the run in today's NFL, except for like the Titans and the, and the Ravens. And so um, they, they have now they lost today, but they have um, had at least now two or three seasons of sustained success by playing that way, but playing behind um, Derrick Henry. I think the question for them is going to be, is Ryan Tannehill good enough to help you beat the chiefs? Uh, You know, uh, Probably not. So you're going to have to win that game. If eventually, if you play the Chiefs in the playoffs, you're going to have to win that game a different way. I don't know that you'll be able to win a shootout with Patrick Patrick Mahomes. So um, the the Titans have been a surprise because Ryan Tannehill has been a surprise. He he didn't have um, a a stellar career under Adam Gase in Miami, and he was signed to Tennessee to be the backup to Marcus Mariota. And um, and has been a, a surprise, I think, even for the, that administration. I don't think that they expected Brian Tannehill to play as well as he did. Otherwise, he would have started the season last year as the starter, and he lost the job to Marcus Mariota before before uh, coming in for him. So, yeah, that's a good one. Here's the thing about the NFL is that on any given Sunday, and this is, this is what makes the game so intriguing, on any given Sunday, look at uh, Minnesota today beat Green Bay. Who would have thought a one in five football team would go into Lambeau and beat the five and one uh, Aaron Rodgers led uh, Green Bay Packers on any given Sunday? Any team can beat any other team. Wow! Yeah, it makes it, it makes it intriguing. It makes it intriguing. So I'm I'm excited about uh, my former team, the Arizona Cardinals, and Kyler Murray. Um, they have uh, D Hop, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, leading the league in receptions, uh, yards per receptions, whichever one it is, and uh, and they have uh, they have a uh, an excellent chance, I think, of winning that uh, that Western division of the NFC uh, with Russell Wilson and the 49ers. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl last year. It's one of the better divisions in the NFL. But uh, I'm really looking for my Cardinals uh, to be strong content- contenders. Uh, to be the top uh, spot in that NFC West. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, the Cardinals are kind of building their team the same way Kansas City is. I mean, they have they go four deep at the receiver position, and they can all do different things. You've got Andy Isabella, who's the speed guy, can take the top off the defense. You've got DeAndre Hopkins, can do everything. You have Larry Fitzgerald, who can just make good decisions, like the decision that he made. Um, uh, getting the ball set because they were in the two-minute drill a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the defense was trying to hold the offensive player on the ground, and Larry Fitzgerald got the ball out of there. I actually think he came off the sideline, came off the sideline, got the ball out of there, set it, and they were able to get the ball snapped and uh, and spiked the ball to save time. 
And then you've got Christian Kirk, who is really emerging um, this season. And I haven't even said Kyler. I mean, Kyler Murray is kind of a given. If if Russell Wilson wasn't playing as well as he would, um, Kyler Murray would probably be right up there as far as a, an MVP candidate. And I think that we've seen, you know, between the Dallas game and the um, and the the Seahawks game, that he can beat you in a bunch of different ways. When he played Dallas, I, I don't think he completed he completed like 10 passes. It was 10 for 22 or something like that, but ran for one or two touchdowns and, and threw a long touchdown at the end. And then um, against uh, Seattle on Monday night football last week, he wins the shootout and he has the, you know, the, the kind of the, the meme that's been circulating now where he's s- smiling because he sees single coverage on Hopkins and, and he throws the ball. So, you know, I, I'm glad that, um, that era that the Cardinals are playing well, because obviously it's a team that, that like Detroit has not had a lot of success except for, you know, a brief spike when Kurt Warner was there, um, but not much before and not much, much after, but they seem to be building it the right way. They got to be able to run the ball and play defense, but that's team. I mean, to say the Cardinals are a team that is firmly in the mix um, uh, for a playoff spot, you know, gives you hope that one day Detroit could be a team that is firmly in the mix uh, for for a playoff contention and even Super Bowl contention. Maybe one day. Yeah. We'll we will see. It's, it'll be interesting to to be on the lookout for. Of course, I um, want to wrap this all together um, because what today has honestly represented for me, not just football talk and family talk, but to me, it's truly uh, just a beautiful illustration of God's grace. I think that not only has this time been enriching and we've all learned a lot of your trajectory, dad, and just different things that have occurred within our family lineage, but this also to me, um, as I was thinking about just a word that I wanted to share, because of course I'm gonna bring in the faith component, right? Um, and it's a word that I've actually utilized in ministry before it's found in Malachi uh, chapter four, verses five through six. And it says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Um, And Malachi means God's messenger. This is actually the last book of the Old Testament. And he he was a prophet. And I just feel like we are really seeing that even in this dynamic that we shared and invited you all in today, that this is the hearts of the fathers turning back to the children and the children's hearts turning back. Uh, to their fathers. And I I believe just that forgiveness that we've been able to extend uh, toward one another, that grace that we've so freely received, that we are also freely giving, is what has enabled us like a pathway to God's purpose. It's God giving us that grace that's divinely enabled us to walk in the things that he's put us on this earth to do. And also to just be a strong representation of when you put everything in God's hands, you see God's hand in everything. So I just want to admonish everybody, especially as we're living in such perilous times, you know, to to forgive quickly and to love freely. And just know that like, it's not in our own strength that we do these things all of the time. And you talked about that in your football career, Faley, I'm sure you can echo that in your your legal career. I know even in my marketing and automotive career that I'm most of the time always relying on the grace of God, but it truly is sufficient. 
in our moments of weakness. And so for everybody that's tuning in now or catching the replay, I really just want to remind us all, especially as we're going into this election week and there's going to be distractions of all sorts that are coming out that we would just continue to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, lean not to our own understanding, but continue to acknowledge him and trust that he will direct our pathways and your pathways forward. He's a good, good father, truly faithful. And today what you all are seeing before you is not just um, a message of, of glory and, and NFL platforms and you know nice things, but it really is, I feel, a message of God's redemption and of his power and of his restoration and of what he has done with this, what he planned before the foundations of the earth for the Sharp family and the enemy, you know, he tried to take it away, but the Lord is allowing us to really restore and to walk in an even greater generational blessing. So I just wanted to make sure that I included that because I think it's important for people to understand like the full picture here, right? Um, and that we truly are just uh, an example and a representation of God's grace, truly. Well, amen. Amen. I'm reminded of uh, in the Old Testament, it says, uh, my ways are not your ways, neither are your thoughts my thoughts. He says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts uh, and your ways and, and, and your thoughts. And, and God is calling us uh, to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And, and he's reminding us that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Mm. So when we walk by faith, and what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah. And when we walk by faith, walk by his decrees and his commandments and uh, and just get to know him uh, closer day, day by day um, and, and follow his guidance and, and his lead. God is able to intercede. And turn that which the enemy meant for evil, turn Hello. it for his good. And the so, saving of many lives. Don't forget the that The saving part. of many lives so that he alone can get all the glory, praise, and honor. Because he truly alone does deserve it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's always important for us to... To end with that, you know, just moment of reflection of the goodness of God, because it's truly not by our own good works that we stand here before you today, but truly uh, through the goodness of a faithful father whose word can't return to him void and will set out for that which it uh, is meant to accomplish. And of course, just want to acknowledge all of the, the incredible people within our family that aren't here today to see this sort of come full circle. So we think about Grandpa Louise Sharp. We think about my sister, Leah Tamara Sharp. Um, who are, are there any others that I'm forgetting? Those two are primary on my mind, but your grandmother's sister, yes, Thea Orlinda and Pablo, Mia Lord Pablo in Cuba. Um, I mean, there's so many within our we have a large family, so I, I'm likely forgetting those, but just want to make sure that I say their names on this day because I know that, um, they are in heaven just beaming because this is a word that had a lot of opposition against it, but God. So you know, you. one of the things I want to say is that, you know, this the hope we have. We don't have hope like the world because we yeah. know that this when these earthly tabernacles go away, when they go back into the, the soil of the earth, yeah. we have a, a heavenly tabernacle not made with hands, Come on. which it lives and abides forever. And that's in the Bible. That's oh. in the Bible. So we have something <laughs> to look forward to. We don't grieve but as those who have no mm -hmm. hope, as we know we're going to a place mm -hmm. where there's no more sickness, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow. Every, Amen. every tear will be wiped away and the former Glory. things will pass away. Can't Amen. wait for that. So all we got to do is just keep our mind set on things above. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And of course, I don't want to end the um, episode without mentioning uh, my new book is still available. If you want to go to www.millennialtransformations.com, uh, it's a culmination of 20 really powerful testimonies, similar to what we talked about today. You know, just the people that God are the people that seem to be counted out and cast out, how God still has his hands on their life and still uses um, it all. Just like in Romans 8, 28, God will use all things and he will work them together for your good because you love him and have been called according to his purpose. So please check that out if you have not yet. We're excited for more Shark Talk to come in the future. And Faley, I'm going to have you sign us out, our special guest. Any last words that you have? Um, and I know you've got some projects on the horizon too, if you want to share those before we exit. Um, I don't have anything particular that I, I want to, I mean, I do have a, a, a podcast that comes out when I can, have time. It's called the Sharp Review. Um, okay, I will have a, a, a <laughs> I know all those statistics about the Billichek coaching tree because that's what I'm talking about uh, most recently on my podcast. So um, it's primarily. Well, those were good statistics. I was thinking what, and let me just ask this real quickly, if you can give me a quick answer. Why do you think out of all the coaches that came under Belichick who have whatever percentage, 30% winning why do you think that Vrabel, who wasn't a coach but was a player, why has he been more successful than many of the former coaches? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the question because Vrabel was a player. And um, I think that we've seen a unifying theme between Patricia, um, Bill O'Brien, and, well, at least those two. One thing that they've done is they've, they've once they've gotten into, um, into that locker room, they have released or traded some of the players that make a difference for the team. So um, with Houston and Bill O'Brien, it's been DeAndre Hopkins and uh, and Jadavian Clowney. And I feel like I'm forgetting something, but um, more recently he got into a, a spat with J.J. Watt. And in Detroit, you had um, Quandre Diggs and uh, Darius Slay. To and the, uh, the wide receiver. What's the wide Golden receiver? Tate. Golden Tate, which oh, yeah. Golden Tate. Um, oh, and so um, those, in, at least in my opinion, um, the Belichick assistants have really been me first coaches. Uh, they want to implement their system and do their thing. I mean, it, you know, at least in Detroit, Detroit has always been a four, three team. And, um, and instead of using what they, you know, so, and anyway, so. And yeah, and we're going to get cut off here in about 60 minutes. seconds. Yeah, okay, right about okay. 30. <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't a quick answer, but I think that Mike Grable, um has understood the importance of, of players. Now, they don't, I don't, I can't think of a, um, a, a personality as big as DeAndre Hopkins or Quandre Diggs. All right. <laughs> Good answer. Thank you. Good answer. Tune into the podcast. Clearly he has rivers of living water flowing from his belly. Grace and peace, family. Be prayerful this week. Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. Take care. Bye-bye. Peace. Love you. Peace.